Hi, I'm Vic Philipson from Christiansen, Norway. The Sound of Young America is an independent production, supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is an actor, improviser, and stage comic. Uh, he was a cast member of Mad TV. Uh, he's also been seen on television programs like uh, the Crossballs television program. Last year, he played Benjamin Franklin on The Office. Uh, most recently, he was seen in the movie Semi Pro, starring Will Ferrell and Andre 3000, and um, what's his name from Cheers? Um, <laughs> I can't remember what his name is. Woody 2000. Well, Woody 2000. Gotcha. Yeah. Coach, right? It's Coach from Cheers, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't Coach. I was led to close. believe that it was Coach from Cheers. You thought that Coach from Cheers was in Semi-Pro? Yeah. No, no. I thought it was about Coach from Cheers. Oh, wow. I wish you'd seen it. It'd be, it'd be a much oh, yeah. I No, I just read a bit about it. <laughs> just a bit, Andy. I only read a bit about it. I would see a movie about Coach from Cheers. Yeah. You know, because everybody loves Coach. The actor being so long dead, uh, it would be a problem <laughs> to get him for the part. Yeah. If he had only died a couple of years ago, it would be maybe. Run some juice but, through him and see what happens. Potentially, but he's been yeah. dead quite a while. He's gone. His tissue's decayed. I think so. At this point. Yeah. Um, Andy's, Andy's also just released a, a brand new compact disc called mm. Nine Sweaters, which uh, compiles... Nine Nine uh, remarkable character performances uh, performed over the course of nine weeks at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in Los Angeles. Um, each of which, uh, each of which, while distinct, shares shares some of uh, Andy's specialties as a comic actor, such as the uh, genial person uh, <laughs> devolving into in, into nightmares, um, and uh, the, the the sort of dark underside of the Andy Williams esque. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, welcome to this. Welcome back, I should say, to to the Sound of Young America. It's Andy. nice to be here again. Okay, before we talk about anything important, yes, um, I want to focus in on something that we we talked about once before on the program, but uh, it's been quite a long time since since that interview was was conducted, and mm. and I feel like we need a definitive discussion of, of this issue. You're you're not just an actor, right? Um, I mean, m many people might know you as an actor from roles in the Coach Story, Semi Pro, yeah. mm -hmm. um. But you're also an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, you've, you've created, I mean, you could say, I think it would be fair to say that you're mm -hmm. in the entertainment business. Oh, yes. Primarily, uh, yeah. Because you're, not, you're not, just, not just on stage and screen. Right. Um, but also you're in people's parlors. Jesse, I, I live to entertain people any way that I can, yeah. anywhere. Absolutely. Have me. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. now, t tell me about uh, tell me about how you get into people's homes and indeed yeah. into people's hearts and minds. Well, this story, uh, you'll see it, it has a, an anticlimactic ending. Uh, how, <laughs> but we'll start at the beginning, which is that uh, I've created a party game called Mustache TV. Uh, which I created at a birthday party of mine many years ago when someone gave me a novelty mustache as a gift, and I placed it on the television set in a fit of inspiration, and all of my party guests gathered around the TV, uh, cheering wildly, waiting for someone on television to wear the mustache. Really wildly. Really? Uh, well, of course... With abandon. Yeah. Well, you see, people like came by the TV thinking it'll happen any second. But what's interesting is that even though... It really is inevitable that as long as you're watching people on the television and the mustache is somewhat centrally located, someone will wear it, but it's surprising <laughs> how long it takes. And and the wait for it, knowing that it has to happen eventually, is uh, it's captivating. Right. You know, and so people sat down thinking, well, any second somebody will wear the mustache. But there are so many near misses and there are so many times when something like a motorcycle is wearing the mustache perfectly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right under the headlamp. And it's just absolutely perfect uh, that that keeps you uh, entertained for a while. So I went into business selling mustache TV kits, which involve a, a fake mustache and a, a rules booklet. Uh, and I've sold a lot of them, 
But I recently, this is the anticlimax. Yeah. I'm a little too busy to do it these days. Really? Yeah. So now if you go to mustache. Because to be clear, when yeah. we said you were an entrepreneur, in the classic American sense, you literally had your brother designed the rules booklet. That's and, correct. Uh, the, uh, what's that called? The uh, It's a header card. A header card. To which a, uh, oh, a, pl- a little plastic bag, poly something bag. Um, yeah, a sure. A poly bag. A poly bag. To which a poly bag is stapled. And in, yeah. Yeah, so you, you had designed these. You kept this in Inside the family, you had it yep. in you. You were storing them in your basement garage. That's right. mm-hmm. um, what did your wife? How did your wife feel about this enterprise? Well, as I sometimes tell people, Mustache TV is a mom and pop organization, and mom <laughs> thinks it's really stupid. <laughs> so it's pretty much just pop down there in the basement. <laughs> what happens is that when a Mustache TV order came in, I always went. Oh, God. <laughs> I would go downstairs. Because you're not, this is not an expensive enough product that you're making a lot well, of money from it One at, when you're sending them out one at a that's, time. That's what, uh, that was a discovery that I came to a rather good, late in the a game. A good sign is when when the product cost, costs roughly as much as the shipping and handling charge, yeah. and you're not really getting anything from handling. No, ha- well, wait a minute, I, I do quite a bit of handling of the product. <laughs> quite a bit of handling. No, you're doing handling, <laughs> but you're not making any money on the handling. Yeah, you yeah. could just jack up the handling that's that would a be idea. that's a possibility that's really the, the the labor is really in the handling yeah uh yeah it, it turned out that once i once i sort of did the books and looked at it it was actually never going to become profitable there was never any chance and when i first started it i thought some genius out there who, who knows more about business than me is going to see this idea and understand how it's the next pet rock and whatever and take it off my hands uh, that never happened. Well, you're on public radio now. You know who listens to public radio? Tell me. Old rich people. Oh, okay. You know what old rich people are looking for? To, to flush their money down the toilet on novelty items? <laughs> I was going to say business opportunities. <laughs> oh, that's but... better. No, I like the way you put it. <laughs> yeah. That is better. <laughs> but uh, now if you go to mustachetv.net, you see a message saying, uh, essentially, not in so many words, but leave me alone. Uh <laughs> I, I so better have, you, words have you really let the dream die? I mean, this is something, Andy, I, the, yeah. the reason I brought it up on the program, normally okay. I'd never talk about something that I talked about before on the show. Yeah. The reason I brought it, brought it up is I feel like there's a lot of my heart and soul tied up in this enterprise. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to take it over? Um, but, well, what does it cost to take it over? Oh, I don't think it would cost you anything except your precious time and effort. And a licensing fee, maybe. Possibly a licensing fee? I wouldn't even do that to you. You wouldn't do a licensing fee? Believe me, once you've stapled together enough of these kits and put the booklet in there and... I have an intern. Oh, yeah, that's what I need. If I had an intern, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Casey, the intern, he's sitting right behind me. I can make him do this kind of stuff. Perfect. Well, then you are the the official online seller of Mustache TV now. MaximumFun.org for all your Mustache TV needs. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen... It's time for a good old-fashioned sing-along with Skip McCabe and the Skip Around Gang. Let them hear it. Come on, guys. Thank you so much, fellow Brody. Thank you so much. Good evening, my friends. How are you all? Wow, what a treat. What a great crowd. You're not so bad. Golly. Well, folks, my name is Skip McCabe. And for those of you who don't know me, I have been traveling all around the country for 20 years now, trying to bring back the good old-fashioned (laughs) sing-along. Yeah, because I think it's just a good, wholesome family fun. And, you know, call me a dreamer. A lot of the times when we perform, someone will yell out, You're a dreamer! (laughs) But not tonight. Okay. Well, I truly believe that if the sing-along comes back into fashion, it just might restore this country to some of its lost luster. What do you say, folks? Who's with me? Do you think it can happen? Oh, good. As I mentioned earlier, a a lot of the characters on this CD are are characters with these all-American facades and then some of the the darkest uh, secrets you could possibly imagine. Secrets... Much too dark, unfortunately, for me to play on public radio program. <laughs> Damn. Um, primarily, primarily involving uh, criminal sexual acts. Uh, quite a bit of that. Yeah. Also, a fair amount of murder. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> there's a there's, a, there's a, a solid dollop of murder. Yeah. On top of the rape pie, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And now, what, what what I'm wondering about is, um, did you, uh, a lot of times people are gravitate towards these kinds of characters because they grow up in a context hmm. that is uh, all American in some way, and they take a look behind the white picket fences, uh, like, you know, Alan Ball, the creator of uh, uh, American, American Beauty, Beauty and mm-hmm. 12,000 other uh, boring, lame pseudo-artists oh. in America. <laughs> uh, not you, of course. Um, no. but, but, but did you grow Did you grow up in that kind of all-American uh, situation? Yes, I very much did. I grew up in a, a suburb of New York in New Jersey, uh, very uh, tree-lined, beautiful Norman Rockwell-esque with a, a small business district with no chain stores and a, a town pool that is uh, is designed to look like a watering hole. Wow. Yeah, no concrete by it's a sand bottom and murky green water. Everybody, uh, the whole town just gets constant ear infections all summer long. (laughs) Uh, But the charm makes it worth it. Uh, Yeah, you can't see your feet, you know what I mean? That could be your slogan for the CD, the charm makes it worth it. The charm makes it worth it. Absolutely. (laughs) The charm is worth the infection. You're such a genial guy uh, in in the limited interactions that, w- that I've had with you. Mm. At what point in your life it, did you start to uh, take the apparent glee that you seem to take <laughs> from darkening that geniality? I don't know. I think, you know, I started doing these sort of um, one-man sketches, if you will, these uh, uh, character monologues, uh, probably about six years ago. And I think... One of the first ones I did is the character on here called, uh, his name is Hap Arden, and it's the track called The Star is Born. And he's a guy who just, pretty much literally just arrived in Hollywood on the bus from Nowheresville, and he's got stars in his eyes. And it was just fun to me. I, what I was trying to do was to answer the question in my own mind of, who are these people that you see on Hollywood Boulevard? What are they like when they just arrived knowing nothing about show business? And there was something fun about making him the most gee whiz guy in the world and then just surprising the audience is all it was about. It was like, okay, if that's where I start, how do I surprise you? And uh, the surprise is that he's essentially a a mass murderer, (laughs) (laughs) a sociopath in every in every sense. Put your hands together for Mr. Hap Arden. Carl's house on Saturday night. My dad gave me a terrific pair of sunglasses because it's so sunny out here all the time. And my grandma gave me a copy of A Star is Born on DVD. Now, she knows I don't have a DVD player, but she says by Christmas I'll be living in a mansion on Sunset Boulevard and I can watch it in my home movie theater. Well, then the next morning I jumped on a bus. Why a bus? Well, folks, I don't have a fear of flying, but I do have a fear of crashing. (laughs) And my grandma was once raped on a train. (laughs) They were waiting for her in her sleeper car. Well, that bus dropped me off in the heart of Hollywood. Bright and early yesterday morning, and I didn't waste a minute. I jumped right in the cab, and I said to the cabbie, Mister, take me to the offices of the William Morris Talent Agency and step on it. I've been a nobody long enough. Cut to me, 9 a.m., marching into the lobby of that famous building. I went right up to the receptionist, and I said, Hey, How would you like to be thanked in an Oscar acceptance speech? (laughs) I handed her my picture and resume, which includes my star turn in the Main Street Players production of A Chorus Line. Am I my resume? I sang that to the receptionist. (laughs) 
Now, folks, I might have just stepped off the bus from Nowheresville, but I know a couple of things about how Tinseltown works. I chatted up that receptionist pretty good, knowing that it was she who would pass my materials on to the top talent agents. So after a little while of talking, she assured me that my materials would not be passed along to the agents. Because, she told me, I needed film and television credits. Well, a lot of guys would have got down at that point, but not old Hap Arden. I walked out into the street, called a cab, jumped in, told the driver, Mister, take me to where they're making film and television. <laughs> Cut to me outside the Judge Joe Brown show. <laughs> Slipping $20 to an audience handler. That's right, folks. Next week on Tuesday and a Thursday, you will see me in Judge Joe Brown's courtroom paying really close attention to the legal proceedings. Well, as soon as we were done there, I hopped right back in a cab, right back to William Morris, right back up to my friend, the receptionist, and I said, hey... I just got some TV work so fast, I haven't had time to add it to my resume. Okay, if I handwrite it? <laughs> well, she must have been at the end of a long, hard day because she told me that if I didn't stop wasting her time, her words, I, <laughs> she was going to call security. But I told her how much this meant to me. I told her all about my Uncle Carl and the sunglasses and A Star is Born and what happened to my grandma on that train. <laughs> and she told me that the way I was headed, I was going to end up in jail. And well, folks, I did get down at that point. I checked myself into the Mark Twain Hotel over on Wilcox. And I brought a couple of friends with me. A can of spray paint and a paper bag. <laughs> Well, at that point, everything got real funny to me. But not to the management at the Mark Twain. To make a long story short, just as the receptionist at William Morris had foreseen, I did end up in jail. Things were looking pretty bad for old half-hearted folks, but they got a lot better in the morning because a nice stranger named Mr. Van Horn bailed me out of jail. He took me out and bought me breakfast, helped me wash the paint off my face, and then he took me to a beautiful building for a free personality test. <laughs> Folks, you're not gonna believe this, but it turns out I have a number of misunderstoods that are keeping me from moving up the bridge to becoming an operating thetan. <laughs> When I asked Mr. Van Horn what an operating thetan was, he told me to buy a lecture series on tape for $3,000. I said, $3,000 in money? I don't have it. And do you know that he offered me a job right there on the spot? That's right, folks. Tomorrow morning, I will start my new job polishing a bust of L. Ron Hubbard in a beautiful building right on the Walk of Fame, where I've always wanted to be. And all I had to do to get that job was to tell Mr. Van Horn every little thing I've ever done in my life that I'm ashamed of. That took kind of a long time. I once threw a glass bottle at a polar bear at the Omaha Zoo. I once wrote an anonymous threatening letter to my math teacher that made her pack up and leave town. I once set off a bunch of fireworks at the VFW hall to remind the old soldiers what it was like to be shot at. I once put a rattlesnake in the ball pit at Jimboree. Back when I was a hospital clown, I tried to wake up a girl who was in a coma by having sexual intercourse with her. I once injected a syringe full of air into an old man's arm just to see if it would really kill him, and it did. It feels like you're almost gleeful when you roll out, when you when you find new ways to top yourself in the area of depravity. Is that the of case? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's a wonderful feeling. <laughs>
<laughs> in fact, that uh, A Star is Born bit, I did that years ago at Ambar, and uh, Tommy Blacha, who's this very funny comedy writer who nowadays works on Metalocalypse on Adult Swim, he said that that section where Hap Arden uh, begins to confess some of his past atrocities in life, at the time that I was that he saw it, uh, there were three or four things in there, and he said, he said, that's your accordion. He goes, <laughs> you, you'll just keep adding to that over the years. And I was like, I took that as a challenge. We'll have more with comedian and actor Andy Daly after a quick break right here on The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Max FunCon is now officially completely sold out. However, I'm going to try and see if I can scare up a few extra slots. And of course, there may be cancellations. So if you'd like to get on the waiting list for Max FunCon, just email waitlist at maxfuncon.com. That's waitlist at maxfuncon.com. Be sure to include your real name, email, and phone number in there. You're listening to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is comedian and actor Andy Daly. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned the track A Star is Born on the record, which is this uh, Finding Your Way in Hollywood track, because it seems like Los Angeles-iness is, if there is a leitmotif other than the uh, dark side of geniality, it is the, the kind of particular qualities of... Los Angeles. Yeah. What do you see as being the particular things that are that are funny about this place? I, I guess it is that it's it's a town that people come to to make their dreams come true. So there's just a lot there. People come from all over the country to make dreams happen here. And how do you respond when they're not happening? And how do you respond when they are happening? And how do you define whether they're happening or not? <laughs> you know what I mean? Those are all areas uh, that I think are uh, are ripe for comedy. Do you find yourself talking to people or, or seeing people in your everyday life that you uh, that you draw from for your comedy? Oh yeah, definitely. I was just talking the other day about a guy that I sat next to in a diner recently. Who uh, he obviously goes to this diner every single day and sits there and talks to the waitresses every single day. And there's something about that that's very Norman Rockwell-like and very small town and very idyllic. But the fact is that we're in Los Angeles and the waitress is busy <laughs> and there are thousands of other places to eat. So it's kind of, I just have questions for that guy. Why not go to some of the other places to eat? Why not leave this woman alone? You know, <laughs> so I, I think... Yeah, that's the sort of a sensibility that I think is on this album somewhat of, of Norman Rockwell looked into a little bit more. That's interesting. And it's interesting to me, Los Angeles seems like a very odd prism to look at that particular issue through. Mm. Yeah, maybe. That wasn't a question, I admit. <laughs> it wasn't much of one, no. <laughs> Sorry. In Andy. a perfect world, I would have gone, exactly, and here's why. <laughs> we don't live in that perfect world. That's my whole point. Yeah. You're not Christopher Nolan, and I'm not Elvis Mitchell at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> what does that mean? Is Christopher Nolan extremely... No, you know, gracious? like Elvis, if Elvis Mitchell was talking to Christopher Nolan, Elvis yeah. Mitchell would bust out some super insight, and yeah. Christopher Nolan would just bust out some super in-depth thoughts with regard to that insight. Oh, I wish we were them. God, I wish that every day. Really? Every day. <laughs> I wish you were Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Especially now in this interview. I keep thinking, God, I wish he made Batman. I wish he made Batman. I'd be, I wish I'd he be made too Batman. busy. If I were him, I'd be more busy than I would like to be. So I don't wish I was him. <laughs> uh, what, what, were you, what were you like when you first came to Hollywood? Oh, when I first came, I had been in New York in show business for a while. I think, I, I actually think the character on this album who is most like me when I first came to Hollywood is probably Jean-Claude Pepe, who is, <laughs> he is France's greatest actor, and he comes to Hollywood thinking that Hollywood has finally uh, uh, recognized his genius, and they're going to, and they're going to make uh, an American film star of him, and uh, absolutely that is not the case. Bonsoir. <laughs> My name is actually pronounced uh, Jean-Claude Pepe. Yes? Maybe some of you will have heard this name, yeah? Because uh, basically I am the most popular and beloved actor in all of France. 
You know, uh, if I will be in a movie in France, everyone in the, my home country will say, oh my God, I will have to buy a ticket for that, yes? <laughs> and it will be lying around the block, you know? <laughs> I have been in many, many, many films. I have been in drama films, like I was recently in a film called The Lonely Boy, which was recently named the saddest film in all time. <laughs> The saddest. They will show it to gangsters, you know, tough guys who will kill their own mother, you know? And they will show it to them and they will cry. And they will show it to stupid people, you know? People who are so stupid, you know, like from a hospital, you know? People who you can tell them, your best friend just died, and they will say, what flavor is the pudding tonight, you know? And we will show them this film and they will cry. Because there is just something in my performance that will get to everyone, you know? <laughs> and I will be also in comedy film. Uh, I was just in a very funny film uh, called uh, Where Are You Going With My Loaf of Bread? <laughs> uh, and the whole film is shot from the point of view of this loaf of bread, which is <laughs> a very special loaf of bread, you know? It is baked for a contest, you know? And all of the thing which happened to it is crazy. It's a very funny film. A couple of nights ago, I am in my chateau in Rouen with my mistress, having a glass of wine. And the phone rings, and I think maybe it is my wife. Be quiet, you know. But it was my agent. And he says to me, you have been given an offer to appear in American film. Very exciting, you know. He says, you must be on a plane right away. Pack a bag. Uh, this film is called, uh, he tells me, The Doctor Who Will Do Nothing for His Patient. But there's no time to explain. So, and I think all the time on the plane, a doctor who will do nothing for his patients. The possibilities of this have no limit, you know. <laughs> who is this doctor? People come to him and beg him, save my life, please, and he will do nothing. Is it because he has realized the futility of life, you know? Is it because uh, maybe he has realized, who am I to play God, you know? <laughs> this is a very profound film, you know? Very exciting stuff, okay? So I think all the time, who is this doctor? And then I arrive and I get to the hotel and there is a note for me at the front desk and it says, uh, Jean-Claude, welcome to Los Angeles from the production crew of Dr. Doolittle Number 4. Okay, and then there is a phone number, but there is no script. So I called the number right away. You've got to send me some script, yes? And the, the woman, she laughed at me. She said, you don't need no script. And I say, my God, we're going to improvise this whole story. <laughs> what a great idea. We will not be able to hide behind some writer's words. It will be the actors speaking from our souls about fear and death. Yes, I can do this, you know? <laughs> And so I say to the woman, I think I can speak from the soul of this Dr. Doolittle about why he will not treat his patients. And then she laughed at me again and she said, you will not play Dr. Doolittle, you will be the maitre d'. I think, okay, who is this maitre d'? Maybe this doctor will go to his favorite restaurant every night and confide in the maitre d'. And the maitre d' is the only person who knows and he must struggle. Will I go to the police? Yeah? So I'm up all night. <laughs> trying to think, who is this maitre d'? What's inspire him? You know, how does he dance? <laughs> You've got to know how a character dances. That's a secret. <laughs> so, in the morning I go to this set. And when I get to the set is when I learn uh, very many important things about this film. Number one, this is not a film about a doctor who will not uh, treat his patient because of a moral crisis. This is a film about a person who can hear animals speak. This is very stupid for several reasons. First of all, if you could hear some animals speak, all you would hear is, I am hungry, I have to have sex. Please don't eat me, I will outrun you. And secondly, you cannot hear them think. 
There's no possible way. And why would they be able to speak English in full sentence, all of them? It makes this stupid film. I had an inflated sense of how established I was in show business in New York because, after all, I had been uh, on Conan O'Brien in various small parts at least a dozen times. So I really felt that I would be uh, greeted as a liberator right here, <laughs> here in Los Angeles, and uh, no bearing was... bearing the flag of one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought the town would just open wide up wide up for me, and uh, yeah, no. I had a, a rude awakening to that, and it took took a bit of an adjustment to. You know, you do have to start over. You're listening to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is comedian and actor Andy Daly. You got a, a pretty primo gig. I mean, in the, in the world of the kind of stuff that you do, having a job on Mad TV, while it's maybe you no know, having a job on Saturday Night Live, is certainly mm -hmm. better than the uh, third option, which is not having a job. Uh, yeah, is that it? Those three, those <laughs> are the three options? <laughs> I think if you're doing yeah. if you're doing sketch professionally, I mean, there's certain touring shows in Amsterdam you might be able to you might be able to latch on with, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I had been out here. Um, that's funny. I actually hadn't been out here so long before I got Mad TV, but it felt like a long time because nothing was happening, and it was just it was probably eight months of a surprising failure. But that's, I shouldn't complain about eight months of failure in show business. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> that does sound pretty tough. I mean, eight months, eight Andy. Eight months. You I probably, mean, it, you know, you probably almost used up your savings. No, honestly, not even close. Not even, <laughs> I had a lot of money. I had a big, big cushion. Yeah, that I one o'clock in, in the morning. Oh, I lived in a beautiful house. <laughs> I was in a wonderful relationship. It was a tough time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but speak, but but on the on the subject of of tough times, I think you. This is something we we talked about when you were on the show uh, a couple of years ago. Mad TV is um, is a show for a very particular audience. Mm. Um, it, it, that audience is uh, would best be summarized as fourteen year old boys. Yeah, maybe, or uh, maybe even younger. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a really broad show, um, and can be quite funny. But it's typically very parodic, um, uh, as opposed to say satirical or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and uh, I imagine, w what was it like when you got this amazing dream job, which it really is in in a lot of ways? But then the amazing dream job turned out to be a whole other thing. I never experienced it as a dream job because I I never really watched. You're always pretty hateful. Yes, I, and I You're don't. You've, you've always been contemptuous of I'm the work a, you a do. A misanthrope. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I never really watched Mad TV until I, I got the job. And then I watched it and I really felt like I'm not sure what how I'll fit in. I'm not sure what, what exactly I'll bring to the table. And I tried to figure out some things to bring to the table. And to some extent, I think I may have succeeded in that. But I, I had I was very ambivalent about my experience there. I, I, I on the one hand, wanted to change the show into something more like my sensibility and on the other hand, wanted to be a breakout star of the show. And I guess I didn't necessarily see those as uh, two things that couldn't work together, but they, they could not because of my, <laughs> my sensibility, I think, didn't match up with... It didn't match up with what the show was trying to be, and it may not have matched up with what the audience was tuning in to see. I'm not sure. At the same time now, this is, this is what, five years later, something like that? Six years since I've been on the show, six yes. Years, six years later, mm -hmm. and... Um, as I mentioned, you know, from, for example, being in semi-pro, what I heard from people who went to see semi-pro mm. was, let's call it a mixed reaction to uh -huh. the film in general mm -hmm. and a highly enthusiastic reaction to uh, Andrew Daly. Mm -hmm. um, and you've recently been uh, cast in a new uh, HBO television series. What, do you think there's something different about uh, Andy Daly, the performer now, than there was then? Um, or do you think you've you've maybe found a new way to, to get into a, a place where you can use your voice a little bit better? Or is it just a dumb luck? Um, I think... I guess I'd have to take the easy option, which is that it's a combination of various things. I think I have sort somewhat found my voice a little bit more, and uh, I've I've figured out what my strengths are and how to play to them a little bit better. But it's also true that I've just been I've just spent years performing live now uh, and putting myself out there as much as possible, and it's just more people have seen me and more opportunities have come up. And semi pro in some ways was dumb luck. Uh, because uh, the director and the casting director are two p 
people who go out and see shows. And Kent Alterman, who directed Semi-Pro, has been seeing me perform since the late 90s in New York. And, you know, he just knew that I could do this. You're listening to The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is comedian and actor Andy Daly. You might recognize him from Mad TV or from the Will Ferrell vehicle Semi-Pro, in which he played the unhinged announcer. He has a brand new compact disc out. It's called Nine Sweaters. One of the tracks on the CD that, um, while uh, astonishingly violent and uh, conceivably disturbing, is probably reasonably radio safe, with that warning that maybe kids wouldn't get it, mm. um, is the opening track, which is called A Wee Bit of Blarney. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be amongst you. Good evening, my friends. What a treat. <laughs> Aren't you a handsome crowd? Well, I'll tell you, each and every year, my hometown of Limerick, Ireland, holds a Blarney contest, and the top prize goes to the fellow who tells the tallest tales in town. And I have told some rather tall tales in my time, let me tell you. <laughs> Would you like to hear one? Well, last Christmas I turned up at a Christmas party and it was dinner with all the trimmings, but I was stuffed and couldn't eat a bite. The host said to me, how dare you show up at Christmas dinner all stuffed and you can't eat a bite. What's the story? And I says, let me tell you. <laughs> this morning, bright and early, I skipped breakfast and I went out fishing with my good friend Seamus and I was so hungry that I said, the next thing either one of us catches, I will eat it. And he says, no matter what it is, and I says, no matter what. And sure enough, he pulls out of the water a battleship that sunk off the coast of Ireland in World War I. Well, I'm a man of me word. It took me all day, but I did get it down. <laughs> oh, of course, the truth of that story is that I rent an apartment to an old lady on Morton Street, and I stopped by on Christmas morning just to make sure she didn't blow January's rent buying presents for people. And what did I see lounging on her couch but a big plump cat? And I've got a strict no pets policy, which she knows. So I grabbed the cat, I took it into the kitchen, I killed it, I skinned it, I cleaned it, and I made it into a soup. And then I ate it in front of her. And I made her have some too. And let me tell you, it was the saddest Christmas lunch you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> well, well. Tell me a little bit about uh, about that and, and how you developed it. Well, th that was one of the bits that actually was inspired by a sweater. My wife and I took a trip to Scotland, and I got caught up in the uh, ambiance and bought one of those white uh, cable knit sweaters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then I got home, and I realized, wait a minute, I don't play tin whistle in a traditional Irish band. <laughs> I have no place to wear this. And so <laughs> I built a She's character a, it's around It's not it. cold where I live. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. It's an impractical purchase. So I figured I'm going to have to use it in comedy. And then I remembered a radio interview I heard a few years ago on NPR, I think the Canadian show, as it happens. They got a hold of a uh, Blarney contest winner in Ireland. And, <laughs> and he was, you know, proud of having won the Blarney contest. And I thought, what a strange award to win because he's being rewarded for being the biggest liar in his community. <laughs> And what kind of a distinction is that? Uh, and that just seemed like an area to explore because Blarney is lying. <laughs> it's just it's just it's like a drinking game. What can I get people to believe? I, I heard an interview once on As It Happens that in my mind is the absolute definition of that program <laughs> yeah. with a woman who found a frozen animal. I think it was a possum underneath her foundation. <laughs> it was frozen. It was in like Saskatchewan or something. This is a huge get for As It Happens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There's this frozen, and she put it in her oven, cooked it, and brought it back to life. No. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It was like a possum. It might have been a possum. What, what's an animal? A beaver? What animals live in Canada? A beaver is an animal, yeah. Oh, and specifically an animal yeah, in not Canada? Just, I'm not just asking what is an animal. Yeah, no. That would a dog be is a an animal, time. a butterfly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure, I'll go with beaver. What about possum? Is that an animal that lives in, like, a Saskatchewan that could get frozen under? There, they, she yeah. she said she thought it went underneath the building. How long had it been there? To Nobody get knows. away. Nobody knows. We can't she, ask it. She thought it was went to get away.
away from the cold, mm. ended up getting colder, freezing. She put it in the oven, came back to life. Barbara Budd told me all about it. Was she trying to bring it back to life, or was she trying to cook it? I don't know. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'll tell you right now. You're beautiful, beautiful, Andy. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, this HBO series that you have coming out in the spring. Uh, yes. It's called it's called Eastbound and Down. It stars Danny McBride, who uh, people may have seen in every comedy film re- released in yeah, the last the twelve year. months. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, in fact, he's he's one of the highlights of almost every comedy film. Yep. Uh, re- released in the in the last twelve months. Tell me a little bit about uh, what the show is. First of all, well, it's a it's a show about a major league pitcher whose career flames out, and he's a very controversial figure and a very belligerent, uh, uh, mean spirited human being. <laughs> yeah. People are a baseball fan a little bit. Uh, John Rocker, maybe a yeah. little bit. Rod Shooter Beck. Yeah, and maybe a little Barry Bonds, in a, in conceivably. A sense. Yes, and uh, but his career completely flames out on him, and he moves back home to his old hometown in the South, and he uh, just to make a little bit of money till he gets back on his feet, becomes a uh, substitute gym teacher at his old junior high. I play the principal of the junior high, and uh, I'm engaged to his old flame. Tell me, was this a, a gig that you got because somebody n- knew your work, or was this a, a gig that you went out and auditioned for? It's very often a combination of circumstances. You know, like, th- I, I think we were already shooting semi-pro at the time that I auditioned for it, and maybe had already shot it. I don't recall. But, uh, yeah, I, d- I had auditioned for it. I had to uh, beat out other people for it. But it, it is uh, being produced by Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, their production company, so... There were uh, people in in a good position saying, "I've seen what this guy can do." So it seems helps. it's it, it feels like a it feels like a really good vehicle for your voice. Tell tell me a little bit about how this uh, how this principle plays out, sort of comically. Well, he uh, he is a huge baseball fan, and he's a huge fan of this main character, Kenny Powers, that Danny McBride plays, and uh, he's just got stars in his eyes when he meets him, and he can't. Even though Kenny Powers is being insulting to him, like right to his face, he doesn't hear it. He just doesn't hear it because he's such a big fan and he can't believe that he's got Kenny Powers teaching in his school. Uh, and he's also a bit of an athlete, my character is. So uh, on the one hand, he thinks he's got some things in common with Kenny. On the other hand, we get the sense that there's maybe a little bit of competition, you know. What, what's what's fun for you about it? What's the What's the neatest part? Uh, I love the challenge of sort of justifying how the insults don't land. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a little hard, but uh, but it's fun to just kind of uh, put myself in the place of a guy who is every day coming into contact with his hero and and what that does to your perception of him. Can you think of a scene where you get insulted in a in an unpleasant way? Well, the, my very first scene, uh, he doesn't know yet that I'm engaged to his old flame, and he's talking to her, and then I come in, and I just gush over him, and then he starts talking about how he's going to hook up with <laughs> with this woman again, and he's using foul language, and I'm hearing it. He's talking about my fiancé, and I just think it's delightful. <laughs> I just can't believe how funny he is. <laughs> I, I just think it's wonderful. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on The Sound of Young America. It is always a joy to have you. Thank you. I, it's always a joy to be here. Andy Daly's brand new compact disc, which is uh, one of the funniest things since sliced bread, is called <laughs> Nine Sweaters. Uh, you that, can, that's not much of a selling point. People don't laugh at bread. Maybe you don't. Okay. Pop, well, pumpernickel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. I just put my own argument. <laughs> Um, it's available at store.especialthing.com where you can get it on the various uh, MP3 internet services, your Amazons and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Eastbound and Down is going to be on the HBO network sometime in the spring. Is it still called HBO, Eastbound and Down? I remember that there were there was some vacillation on that issue. I think there may continue to be. but uh, Okay. Well, you know. it, it, the show probably called Eastbound and Down is, mm-hmm. is on in the spring on HBO. And you can also catch Andy regularly on uh, the Comedy Central series, The Root of All Evil, with uh, with Lewis Black. Andy, thanks again. Thank you. I really had a good time. 
Now, before we get out of here, I want to share something with you from Andy Daly's CD that we could never in a million years, even with lots and lots of bleeps, play on the radio. Now, if you have a delicate sensibility, I recommend that you not listen to this. But if you don't, for God's sake, do listen to this. And after you do, go out and buy Andy's hilarious, hilarious, hilarious CD. Here's Andy Daly from his CD, Nine Sweaters. Um... Well, our next comic um, is fulfilling his lifelong dream of trying his hand at stand-up comedy. Uh, his grandchildren are in the audience tonight, uh, so give him a warm round of applause. Applause, everyone. Ben Alterman. How's everybody doing? Well, I'm not doing so great myself. Uh, I just found out the woman who lives down the hall from me has ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer. What, was she smoking with her pussy? Folks, I live in a retirement community. There's a lot of old broads there, but not a lot of us old guys. So those of us who are there get a lot of action. The nice thing about fucking an old broad is, if you get tired of fucking her in the pussy, you can always fuck the wrinkles. (laughs) Folks, the widow Feeney doesn't look too good. She's lost a lot of weight. The other day she asked me if I wanted a blowjob. I says, yeah. (laughs) Not because I wanted a blowjob, but she looked like she could use the protein. (laughs) It's mostly protein, folks. Folks, World War II ended a long time ago, but for me, every day is VJ Day. Vagina Day. Got a Japanese lady who lives on my floor. I like to titty fuck her. I call it planting my flag on Iwo Jima. fellow who lives across the hall from me has Alzheimer's disease. Every time I fuck him, he thinks it's his first homosexual experience. (laughs) If he takes out his dentures, it's the best blowjob I've ever had. And I was in the Navy, folks. I tell you, that fixident is a hell of an adhesive. It really is. It always takes me a couple of days to wash it off my cock. <laughs> Folks, I got a vibrator that's so old, I got to hand crank it before I stick it in my ass. It's pre-batteries. I do love bingo night, folks. My favorite part is when the pretty young thing who calls the numbers says, oh, 69. (laughs) Just the other day, uh, the widow Bahaffey and the widow Lewis invited me over to watch them do 69 on each other. Of course, at their age, it's more like 138. (laughs) My daughter gave me a VCR for Christmas. I have no idea how to program it, so I just stick my cock in it and fuck it. (laughs) You know, my wife died about three years ago. Yeah, I really miss her. Pussy. (laughs) I really miss her pussy. (laughs) 
And that's it. You know what I don't get? When I offer somebody a hard candy and they say yes, and then they act surprised when I stick my cock in their mouth. You ever wonder why an old man loves applesauce so much? We don't eat it. We take it back to our rooms and we fuck it. Just keep that in mind. (laughs) Folks, I can't do everything I used to do. Doctors got me on a strict diet of fruits, vegetables, fiber, and pussy. (laughs) Two servings a day of the fruit. I had to draw up my last will, folks. I decided I'm leaving my stamp collection to my grandson. I'm leaving my 52 caddy to my daughter. And I'm leaving my herpes to the entire third floor. (laughs) Folks, I don't think I'm going to be around very much longer. Oh, it's true. But, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to die uh, because I really believe that when I die, I'm going to become a spirit. And then I can spend the rest of eternity watching teenagers fuck. (laughs) All right, folks. I guess I'm going to go. It got disturbing. Good night, folks. Andy Daly from his hilarious new CD, Nine Sweaters. You can buy it in iTunes or in the Amazon MP3 store or get the CD with bonus tracks at store.aspecialthing.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music from Dan Wally. The show edited by Nick White. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, a great place to visit on the worldwide interwebs. If you're interested, I have Sound of Young America wooden nickels. More and more people have been emailing me. Do you have Sound of Young America wooden nickels? Where can I get Sound of Young America wooden nickels? I have wooden nickels for all my other favorite public radio programs, but not the Sound of Young America. Can you help me? It's as simple as this. Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to us. The address is 720 South Normandy Avenue, number 512, Los Angeles, California, 90005. You can also find that address on the About page of the website. Send us an SASE. We'll send you a couple Sandy Young America wooden nickels. We'll see you next time on the Sandy Young America.